Welcome to the One Life Podcast. Being a business owner is potentially the best path to build personal wealth. However, embarking on an opportunity, whether full-time or as a side hustle, is incredibly tough. I believe that understanding finances is integral to the success of your business. The purpose of this podcast is to empower you to understand, manage and grow your business finances and therefore your personal wealth. I invite you to join me as I share insights and actionable strategies to make your business serve you rather than you serve your business. I'm your host, Andrew Wilson. Well, welcome to another episode of the One Life Business Podcast. I hope you're well and you're looking after yourself. My name's Andrew Wilson. If you haven't caught this podcast before, please do go back to episode one, um, where I tell you a bit more about myself, my history, and the reason why I'm doing this. This podcast is about financial empowerment, your financial empowerment, and specifically that that is understood, controlled, and driven by growing your business finances. And ideally, you pull those finances out of your business into your personal coffers. So what are we doing this week? Well, it's been a few weeks since I've done a podcast, so I've invited a friend of mine on. Soraya, could you possibly introduce yourself? Yeah, of course. First of all, thanks for having me, Andrew. So my name is Soraya Karimi Gavanli. Um, so yeah, didn't expect you to be able to say that. It's fine. <laughs> so yeah, I um, met Andrew very differently to why I'm, I'm here today. But as we've got to know each other, you've now understood that I'm currently the uh, supply chain director and operations for uh, Smithfield Foods in the United Kingdom. Uh, it's a worldwide business. So we are technically the um, third largest pork manufacturer producer of the world. We earn two thirds of all the world's pigs. And for us in the United Kingdom, uh, we look after the distribution bringing in from Europe into the UK. And I get to lead that fun. <laughs> and you're the supply chain director there, aren't you? I am indeed. So um, you have a team, people, a team of people that work with you? Yes. So I have a number of layers. So I have 12 in total that directly report to myself. It, that includes from a managerial perspective down to a coordinator level. As you say, as you quite correctly say, um, and you should be because you know the business and you're a director there, your ultimate beneficial ownership is a Hong Kong-based company? It is correct, yeah. Um, we are owned by like a holding group in Hong Kong and they are, I believe, the second biggest holding investment firm of, again, the globe. Yeah. So they are um, a very good backing for Smithfield. Yeah, and apparently they are the largest pork company in the world as a as a group. Yes, the WH group is. And there's and as you say, Smithfield Foods is one of the brands that they look after as a whole. And there are a, there are numerous brands in there, aren't there? Yes, correct. Yeah, it's massive. <laughs> it is indeed. So what I wanted to understand is the challenges that that you are facing as a supply chain director of what we all know now is a uh, a given it is is something that every family needs which is food mm. so can you can you explain maybe some of the, the challenges that you're facing as an importer of food into the UK so it's changed vastly over the last couple of years because of that dreaded b word of brexit yes. um so I guess if I give you the, the new norm of, of after the pandemic and, and that kind of impact, importing now, because it's product that is for humans, uh, it's classed as kind of a safeguarded 
goods and it needs a lot of different control measures so everything from a veterinary certification at factory point you need to know the quality of the product you have to know the commodity code even though we don't pay tariffs within currently um, importing from eu we have to have documentation that proves who we are where it's going where it's come from and just to give you a bit of context previous to this when I'd import a full truck, which we normally do, Arctic lorries, and we import around about 60 a week, we would have maybe one or two bits of paperwork with it. So commercial invoice information, where the truck was going, what was on it. And I've had a record-breaking 150 pieces of paper for one truck just to come into the UK since Brexit. Wow. So, so yes, it, it's, it is very complex. And with the checks that they've put in place with perishable goods, you can end up having it stopped at border point and then it doesn't get any better um, with age. We say that about chicken. It then has a knock on for everything. So customers then get their product late. Potentially we get less money for it because it's not as valuable anymore. And there's, there's a lot of complexity there. So who are your customers? Uh, I understand who your end customers would be, but I'm assuming that your end customers are not, you're not selling direct to, to the consumer that are, that are buying on a daily basis? No, we, so because we have a lot of categories, we range from Tesco's, for example, yep. all the way to food service industries, um, people who then facilitate, say, maybe a school or, or a restaurant group or something like that to traditional European wholesalers within London so it's very very vast but yeah we go to our customer that then the next step would be the the consumer. And how have you how have you managed this you know going from a couple of pieces of paper to 150 must be this must have been incredibly tough. Uh, It's been a challenge Um, we have more staff in our business now purely because of it so it has put more cost within the business structure. Yeah. Um, and we have to pay an external agent to declare imports for us, a customs agent, which has also put in additional costs to the business, which is excessive six figures of additional costing. So it's a lot, but we have to. So give me worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is you arrange with your suppliers for um, for perishable goods, which is food, to come in and it gets held up because you don't have the correct paperwork. I'm assuming you must have been through a finite number. There must be a finite number of things that could potentially go wrong. But with 150 pieces of paper, what I like to call compliance, because actually the reality is the compliance doesn't earn you any money. But without the compliance, you can't earn any money. Correct. Yeah. Um, there's a few scenarios, I guess. One is it's late. Um, customer might decide they don't want it anymore. Yep. We then lose the, the potential sale. Um, another potential is that it gets destroyed at border point. If they cannot check and verify everything that you're saying this product is and they do actual physical testing on it they can technically dispose of it if they wish um that would be like the hmrc or or the border control points and then the last case which is one we wouldn't want either um as a consumer especially that product goes back to poland for example it goes back into the eu and it saturates then the market which then impacts the cost within our market 
for that commodity, for example, chicken. Okay, you've mentioned a few buzzwords. You mentioned that tariffs are not in place at present. Could you could you expand upon that? Yes. Yeah, so um, obviously, before Brexit, we were in the free trade agreement within the EU. So we didn't pay tariffs on products. So when we would import, for example, it was free to import. It was in a, like a free trade agreement circle. Now that we're out of that, we should have or could have ended up trading on WTO terms, which is basically like a contract we would have made with another country where, okay, yes, we could buy product from them. And this is everything from metals to paper to anything that's got a commodity code and everything does. They would say, okay, we we don't mind having that product in this country, but we also make it in this country. So we want to protect it. We'll limit you to what you can import, but you'll also have to pay money to bring it in. So under WTO terms, just for perspective, uh, a nice piece of chicken fillet, the best cut of the chicken, the commodity code or the tariff being quoted was around about £800 per tonne of product you brought in, and that was just to bring it in. So our business would be paying that literally just to bring it in the country. Okay, and now and, and now you can see why I've asked you onto the podcast because now, now <laughs> what we're doing is we're starting to build a picture here, which is you've been hit with costs which are not just physically moving the goods from one place to another, but you've been hit with costs because you've you've got import costs, you've got the uh, the increased tariffs, you've got agent costs. I'm assuming insurance costs must have increased as well because there's potentially more risk here. Yeah, there is. Um, and there is like a global policy for, for us in regards to insurance of movement of goods. What we have found is because we've had to, on some of our other categories, so store more within the country, like frozen or ambient, we've had to then insure them to make sure that we're covered in case anything happens with those. But yes, there is this insurance element to the business now, and there's a lot more risk involved in if it gets stopped, what do we do? So it, it impacts in every department. Obviously, at present, you're importing from within Europe. Have you looked at further afield? So we did used to, pre-Brexit, uh, import from the United States. Um, we would import frozen pork from them. The EU regulations on food is a lot higher in standard than it is in the US. Right. Why we don't import from those countries, because the EU has a very high standard in regards to what can and cannot be used within food manufacturing key um, example is chlorinated chicken from the US is not accepted in the EU or obviously Great Britain. So we did used to, but we we don't anymore. Everything we import is from somewhere within the EU. So tell me about your relationships with your suppliers and what um, sort of Brexit and possibly COVID as well has, has affected your relationships? It's very varied. We had to pivot quite a lot during COVID purely from food service being closed. We primarily were going into retail. So we we were able to do that because we're already in those categories. Um, With our current suppliers within Poland, Romania, Hungary, those areas, they've also had to obviously employ additional veterinaries to be on site who then do the checks for us. They have to do additional paperwork. They have a customs agent in their country 
because they have to be classed as an exporter now and they'll have to do all their paperwork for the export so we can then do all our paperwork for the import before that truck gets to Calais otherwise the truck can't go across the border so all the paperwork now has to be done in pretty much real time and it's all paperwork there's no automation not yet (laughs) apparently there will be there is a little bit we have to create a, a code that's called an IPATH code which generates a number for the vet that's in your factory to be able to sign off the paperwork stamp it and then send it off to you the that IPATH is done on a computer system generated automatically but the vet certification has to be the real vet certification with the stamp and it has to be an actual cop like an the actual one not a copy of it yeah. and that has to travel with the driver so there's still a mixed element of today are we going to go digital or not at some point so am i correct in also saying and we're, we're slightly off topic here but it's related i've been reading some articles recently about the fact that there was problems with drivers due to brexit have you experienced that as well a hundred percent yes it's not only the drivers there's also the labor within united kingdom in the warehouses and picking but drivers specifically we had drivers who didn't want to come to the uk uh, we had drivers that in within the united kingdom had obviously gone back into the eu we then had less drivers within our uk platform we had less pickers less distributors within uk but primarily in the eu when we had driver shortages we would have to pay potentially incentives to people to come over so that they would then want to come over i mean nothing changed for us we still had to bring 64 trucks a week so having no drivers was just causing us more of a challenge they were also talking about the fact that there weren't new drivers coming through. So people were saying, actually, it's a dying trade because it's all going to be automated. There's going to be, you know, electric electric um, delivery vehicles whereby, you know, they it won't need a driver in, in 10 to 15 years. Have you heard that? I have in a way. It's kind of an exciting subject matter for me because I'm I love the automation things. And I have seen warehouses in, in this country that have automated offloading bays. So the driver doesn't have to even touch a pallet and it can unload the whole trailer automatically and put the pallets away. In regards to Tesla vans or Tesla trucks that I've seen, um, fantastic, but way far out from yeah. ever being used and especially um, pan-European distribution I, I local domestic possibly um but i i don't see it no. that even in 15 years well it's not going to work with 150 pieces of paper is it because you're not going to have anyone to take it no exactly <laughs> <laughs> okay it's interesting you mentioned pivoting during covid can you expand on that? And the reason I'm asking you to do that is because I think lots of businesses had to. Lots of small businesses they and business owners, they think, you know what, I'm the only ones that's having to do this. Everyone else is just trading in the normal fashion. But I think it's really interesting to find that a global business such as just your own ha- actually had to do exactly the same during the pandemic. Everyone had to stay at home. They had to cook at home and there was no more restaurants open there was the restrictions and in all honesty even to this day I I feel that 
some we don't see as many people go out for dinner anymore because they were used to for 18 months or so you know cooking from home being safe staying safe and so we were already within that category and that market we just saw that the demand increased massively especially in our ambient canned goods they went quite crazy and actually at the time we then looked at care packages and we ended up providing for care packages for the vulnerable and elderly during the pandemic for those goods so it was very very good but for a business you obviously need to have the correct balance of volume and profit now volume for us comes from our traded food service so we we saw a in a way a decline in that time of volume but not in profit now we're getting back to a nice balance again. So, okay, and and I think that's where I'd like to to sort of move this on to, which is the relationship between the supply chain director and the supply chain um, department and other departments in your business. How interactive are you with other departments, not just deliveries and and making sure that that stuff is there, but also specifically, I'd like to talk about the financial side and how aware you and your your colleagues are of that. I make the joke that accounts are always on me. <laughs> it, it's really good. I have a very good working relationship with our finance director. Um, and our department, obviously, we're the second highest spend. So in our whole business. So the most that we spend our money on is buying the goods. The second is then moving the goods. And that's what we're responsible for. Um, the factories and that will set the cost of the goods. We agree if it works commercially. But then commercial department will be speaking to us and saying, how much is it going to cost to get it here? How much is it going to cost to store it, etc.? How can you palletize it better and make the truck more efficient? And how much are you spending? So then we can understand what profit we will make. And obviously for them, you know, they're selling it at a price, but we have to make sure we're bringing it in at the best price. Otherwise, they won't be making any money. Yeah. I have to justify what I'm doing as well with the accounting department. They also get very involved in financial auditing with them, as well as things like traceabilities and the P&L, which we go through weekly. And they also hold me to account of why we're holding so much stock, <laughs> um, uh, holding up the cash flow there. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, but it's constantly you've got to make sure it works for every department otherwise your business won't succeed and I, I know I've said a quote to you previous before but I do like the quote I think the making the money is in the buying not the selling my guys could commercial team could sell it for say make it up a fiver but if I bring it in for 4.99 what's the point yeah so I need to make sure I can bring it in for say a 450 to make sure we're always making a profit and it's music to my ears because you've got to have every element. You've got to be aware of every element of your business because if you're not, something will fall short and you will see it in your bottom line. The fact that you're saying that you're, you do weekly P&Ls and you're on top of your stock, you're getting pushed for stock, you're getting pushed for cash flow. Those are all, all very big KPIs for every business. It doesn't matter the size of the business, but it's really good to hear from your side that your guys are on you every week. Because it just shows how important it is. Yeah, definitely. And I know um, you appreciate that. You've always yeah, said. love my KPIs. Um, <laughs> but it's a top-down measure anyway. You know, our MD, his KPIs and targets that include things like volume and EBIT and all that kind of stuff is then 
filter down to myself, the finance director and the commercial director, and then we would filter out with our team. So everyone's on the same mission as well, or yeah. the same journey. Yeah. And we understand what we're looking at. Um, so yeah, it is key. Yes, absolutely. And, and pretty much you alluded to it earlier, which is the trick is to buy at the right level to be able to sell at the right level. Now, we all know with cost of living increases, inflation, interest rates are going up, everyone's expecting and is seeing cost of living increases across the board. What I don't think people appreciate is some of the things that you've spoken about, which is the 150 pieces of paper, the fact that you're getting hit with tariffs, the fact that, that you've got import agents that you didn't have historically, the fact that the materials and the goods and everything else, and potentially the electronics and the, the tech that you're using is also going up in price. If everything's going up in price, there is a certain level where you can't suffer that and you have to pass it on to your customer, don't you? Yeah, uh unfortunately you have to and in turn they will then look to pass it on to the consumer yeah um it's more difficult if you're in a contract with certain businesses or companies but as soon as those contracts will come up and potentially say a range review or price review will come up we have to because yeah. some of the products that we might evaluate and look at that are still in contract and we can't change right now they might not be viable and that could be all the way from the distribution is not viable to potentially the production is not viable either because of the raw material cost. Um, and it's it's a knock on. And we, we talk about inflation. We talk about, is it 5%, is it 8 then it goes to 10 And, mm. you know, I've never before seen so we uh, a surcharge that we get is for fuel, usually, for Arctic lorries. And that has increased on average from 8% four years ago to 22%. That's massive. It has to be accounted for somewhere. Now we can absorb a proportion of it. And unfortunately, a lot of suppliers have to absorb quite a lot of it yeah. because the customers sometimes just don't take it. But we can only do it for so long until then you either have to say, I'm sorry, but I can't do those products anymore. Or the business actually might be quite detrimental to a business in the future. Have you, have you had these conversations with your suppliers then? I mean, obviously, as the supply chain director, you must be speaking to your suppliers at all, all times. And I'm assuming that they're coming to you saying, look, we're being, we're, it's really tight here. Margins are really tight in this industry. And to be hit with these extra costs, can you help us? So I do get a lot of, of our warehousing or our facilitators within the UK coming back and saying, we need to change this cost because of, one was electricity. Yep. We've had obviously the driver shortages. They did an emergency uh, fund for for that to support and help train new drivers. We've had fuel surcharges, etc. And they do because they're they're seeing it as well. So they're then asking us. We're trying to mitigate as much as we can. And then at where there comes a point where the analysis that we do, which is daily in our business, on how much products cost, are they are they running okay as a background data. We then have to go right now. We need to now go speak to the customer because we have to. But Smithfield Foods as a whole has a lot of challenges, doesn't it, as a business? Not just procurement, but obviously sales side as well. That are going to be saying, "Look, I'm not sure my supply, my customers are going to be able to pay these prices at times." Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's a difficult balance. Yeah, and we we saw a lot during the pandemic where 
because we didn't know if restaurants were going to be open or not. A lot of our customers were placing orders and then cancelling literally the day of delivery, saying, I'm sorry, but they've pushed the regulation back again. And again, uh, you know, with, with fresh meat, yeah. you've got a very restricted life. And then it was almost all hands on deck. What do we do with it now? So that's another impact that people I don't think saw. So that's something that we have to keep pushing. And I know we give our data as much as we can to our sales team, but sometimes they don't like the number that I might give them to yeah. say that's how much it costs to bring it. You have to try and make that up when you sell it. Yeah, it's, and again, it talks about about the relationship between the different parts of the business. I've always spoken about the fact that everyone has to win. If anyone is winning more than another person, then generally you get called out on it, and you and it just it isn't a, a, a fruitful relationship. So hopefully, the 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 relationship that you have with the suppliers actually pays dividends further down the line to the end consumer. Yeah, I think it definitely does, and and you have to find like as you say, win win. Yeah. Because you can very easily, and I think this is it with any business nowadays, people aren't as loyal as they used to be to brands and stuff. So you have to make sure you're giving them excellent customer service for the right price. And that's why we focus a lot on good quality product at a good price and delivered on time. Yeah, That's key because that's the experience that makes them come back again. So we spoke about Pivot. And we spoke about the fact that Smithfield Foods is very meat-based. Are you noticing a lot more demand for uh, for le- less meat and more plant-based for, um, sort of options? I think there's definitely a, um, a shift. And for Smithfield Inc., which is the United States, you know, our, our mother, basically, as, as I like to refer to, to them as, um, they have developed some fantastic alternative meat products. Right. Now, pre-COVID we imported some into this country to look for food service and then obviously with the COVID and the food service shutting it then kind of plateaued a bit or stopped so um, but that is definitely something that we're exploring we know that our sister company in Europe is exploring it because I think people now want more variation and we have to go with the times because the only inevitable life is change yeah and if we don't change we'll get left behind So, yes, Smithfield was founded by a farmer back in the 1930s um, in Smithfield, Virginia. But Smithfield as a business is a fantastic, dynamic business and it will continue to change as as times change. Do you see this getting better? Do you see the import sort of um, business and and as you become more and more au fait with the, uh, the, the regulations and the compliance side, do you think it will become better for you? Uh, yes and no. I think it's not really a good answer for you, is it? But I'll give you both. So yes, because we would understand the customs, what's required of us. No, because there's still stuff up in the air. So on the 1st of July this year, we were supposed to have new Brexit regulations, which have been postponed now till the 1st of Jan to 2024. Wow. Now, there's some regulations in there that bans certain products from being imported from the EU. And some of those products are massive EU to UK imports. And so that's something that if that does get into effect from, you know, end of 23, start of 24, that will impact a lot of UK businesses. And there's no real, 
in my personal view, and that's only personal one, I don't understand why they've put in the ban uh, in regards to meat preparation, that kind of stuff, you know. Um, and that's something that we have requested to understand better from agencies like DEFRA to know why. But I, I guess standard consumer wouldn't know that marinated chicken is potentially going to be banned from being imported into the UK yeah. in, you know, a year and a half. So two lead on questions from there. First one, have you thought about more UK based products or is that nigh on impossible to do um, sort of in a cost efficient way? Um, cost effective wise, it's yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. Um, just land wise as well, it's also yeah. very difficult. The fun fact of chicken and pork, I nicked this from my boss, so he'll love it when he listens to this, is if we were to feed the United Kingdom with only UK chicken and pork, because of the cuts that we like as British people, we like the very best cuts, of course. So the fillet and the loin and that kind of stuff. So every chicken would have to have four breasts in this country and every pig would have to have two sets of back legs to be able to facilitate what we like in this country. So we do have to import because we like the bacons and you know the nice stuff um and unfortunately there's only a certain amount of that on every product on every animal so and, then, and um, like you say there's only certain numbers of animals in the in the country yes correct and it's also you know the this country is amazing in what we provide for people who work and you know the employment rights and laws what we are paid totally differently to what you would be paid in a, in a different country where there's a lot more land and a lot more potential for farming yeah um we would always look at what our options are out there but it's very difficult to affect or cost effectively run in the united kingdom with massive farms um and facilities like what we have in europe no that makes complete sense and the f- follow-up question was going to be obviously i know that you've been involved in in talks on brexit you've been up to the houses of parliament you you're getting yourself out there to really be the voice of smithfield foods and the procurement side of things especially now where do you see that going you know do you think this is um a legal issue do you think this is a a a government um sort of drive or do you think this is uh, everyone needs to know about it I feel like people should be more educated. I do love the fact that people are passionate about United Kingdom and we should feed our own nation and that kind of stuff. But I also don't think people realise that one in every fifth meal in this country is actually imported from the EU. Yeah. So if we didn't have that, we already have a lot of issues in regards to sustainability and supply in I mean, we can see it as consumers going to the supermarkets. The shelves aren't as full as they used to be. If you then stop that completely and you stop that import from EU of a lot of products that we have, I feel like we'd cause a national issue in regards to what food is available for people. And that's everything from, you know, added value food for the people who can't afford the top range stuff to the top range stuff, you know. And I, I feel like people need to be a bit more educated on it. And also the government could definitely be a little bit more educated in regards to how the supply network works, how many thousands of trucks move across Calais Dover every single day, 
and then doing a test of 80 trucks is just crazy when 10,000 move. So that 80 truck test that they did 18 months ago about the delays in Kent just makes no sense. So it's a bit of an education for everyone, I think, in all honesty. And that's what I'd like to do. Absolutely. And I think you mentioned that in your business, every day is a challenge because there are things changing at all all times. And I think that's that's really difficult to manage on a day to day basis and and a month to month basis. And the unknowns, you can deal with the knowns. It's the unknowns that are a bit of a problem. And you mentioned Jan 24. You're already preempting what's going to happen. But what you're saying is you have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, and we have about four different scenarios pre-planned with the buy-in of obviously the commercial director, the MD of our business, everything, of what, if this happened, this is what we'll do. If this happened, this is what we'll do. But unfortunately, every element adds cost to the business. Yeah. But we have to um, kind of almost suck that up because we have to continue with facilitating the customer base that we we, we want because otherwise we won't exist anymore so it, it is crazy and um the this i think in this industry especially in the supply chain side of things you you either love it or hate it and we always say most people fall into it um not knowing they were going to do this for their job for the rest of their life but you love finding those solutions so yeah. if two days were the same then i would be bored i think I've really enjoyed this conversation mainly because it's given me some some context to why prices are going up and I'm sure people are are just not aware but actually from what you're saying there could potentially be an issue with actually physically getting the food and you're right we have already seen going to the the supermarket walking around and seeing there is less stuff on those on those shelves I think what's taught us over the last kind of couple of years is understanding the complexity that we have within any business and I think that the more people educate themselves the better that they can understand things and everyone is in this situation and we should show our compassion and our support for everything and anyone who's kind of going through any change and that includes businesses and personal you know within your personal life I think a lot of people have have seen a new norm yeah and we sounds a bit cheesy but we should just be a bit more kinder to to each other and businesses as well because they're not putting that price up just to annoy you they're putting that price up because they've had their prices put up who have had their prices put up and they're trying to survive i think we're all trying to survive at some you know at some point aren't we yeah one of the things i've seen recently is obviously the, the increase in in gas and electric prices and you think my god you know that's that's a hell of a challenge for an individual at home and then you start talking about businesses with big warehouses and offices yeah. to, to heat. And you think all of a sudden you're talking double, triple the cost of gas and electric. Well, that does have to be, it has to be born somewhere. 
So, Soraya, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for sort of opening this up. And I've really learned a couple of things here. And I wanted to, for people to understand, as I say, why prices are going up um, for the, the, the household goods, especially the food that we're having to buy. But also, I, I really enjoyed the fact that you explained the relationship between your department and the other departments in the business and how, that you're, how you're getting pressured by, uh, by finance. I quite like that. So thank you so much for coming on. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me.